Episode number 21, Money versus Currency and the Seven Stages of Empire. Welcome to In It to Win It. This is Stevie B, and this week, it's just you and me. Uh, this week, uh, we've celebrated our nation's 50th anniversary of being on a fiat currency. Uh, most uh, most countries don't make it that long being on a fa- fake uh, fiat currency. The normal time span is uh, 30 to 40 years, so... We've made it an extra decade. Uh, Let's see how much longer we can keep this train running. Um, I've been getting a lot of questions on gold and silver and the recent smashdown. And uh, if you can call it that, when you really look at the grand scheme of things and the the graph, it's it's not a whole heck of a lot. But but it it made the uh, Reddit news, so it was uh, kind of interesting. Some people are freaking out. I basically look at it as uh, this is a time to... uh, accumulate um i look at it like they're doing us a favor you're getting it on sale and um following jordan roy Byrne, our resident gold expert uh he anticipates and i agree looking at the technicals of the graphs um that uh, there's going to be a continued consolidation in other words it's going to continue to generally go down and um uh probably do so uh for um uh, the rest of the year. So I look at this as a uh, buying opportunity and, um, you know, you're essentially getting it on sale, uh, from the research I've done and what I can tell it, uh, it looks like the smashdown happened when the American markets, uh, when the Western markets were, uh, were closed and when the Asian markets opened up. So someone or some entity dropped a whole bunch of paper on the market at one time and it just dropped down the price. When they did that, when you look at the technicals, it dropped down to a level of about oh, 1670, something like that. And it immediately shot right back up to a level in between of where it was. So it was at about 1880, something like that. It smashed down to 1680. And then it quickly, with for a hot minute, it was down there. And then it quickly uh, bounced back up to where it is now, about 1770, 1780, something in that uh uh, uh, range. Silver basically did the same thing. Uh, went from, what was it, like 28 bucks and then smashed down and it's slowly uh, going down and uh, I've been accumulating. I've been doing a dollar cost averaging like Andy Sheckman uh, recommended and I've been doing it through him. Uh, I basically place an order. Uh, he uses an e-check which takes 10 days to clear and then after that they ship it it's working right at the two-week window it takes about three days to get here so as soon as i get it i place another order um and uh as this uh, uh as it's become cheaper i've been also going to uh, my local coin shop uh pacific coast coin in ventura and uh picking up some uh picking up some more um oh a side note coffee futures i was looking at uh, different commodities markets and just uh you know, I think we're entering a commodity cycle, and I think, generally speaking, we should be getting out of stocks and bonds and, and moving into 
commodities, especially precious metals. And I, uh, I saw that coffee futures had spiked uh, last month. They just went way up all of a sudden. So I started doing some research on this. And apparently what happened was uh, Brazil, who is the world's largest producer of coffee, they, uh, they produce about 30% of the world's coffee uh, and supply the U.S., I think it was 40% with its coffee. And uh, they got hit with an unusual drought, which is bad for, for coffee plantations. And that got followed up by a, a, a kind of a rogue uh, freeze, a rogue frost. I went to a coffee plantation years ago when I was down in uh, Columbia. Uh, it was kind of an amusement park based around a coffee uh, plantation. And um, I learned a little bit about coffee plants. They're very interesting. They, they, they to get the beans, they, they kind of produce these little red, uh, well, they start out as green. And then when they're ripe, they go to like a red kind of deep uh, purple and when you break open that, um, that, that, that fruit or whatever you want to call it, inside are two little coffee beans like nudged up against each other. Uh, well, these are very vulnerable to frost. And if they become frozen, uh, they're not usable. And if that frost remains for an extended period of time, which it did, it will uh, kill the plant. Now, these plants are not like... Uh, uh, tomatoes. You can't just plant them and three months later, all of a sudden you have tomatoes. You plant it and three years later, you have coffee beans. So my point is, I believe the reason that these futures spiked is because investors can see the same thing that I can and that the largest producer of coffee has just been hit with a rogue frost. And I think that is going to limit supply uh, in the foreseeable future. And I think that is going to um, increase the prices. Um, people don't have to drink coffee. I mean, we could certainly survive without it. It's not food. Uh, but um, caffeine is a very addictive product. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee right now. And uh, I think that uh, um, in the next few months, uh, once the limited supply, uh, you know, that survived this frost gets harvested and sent up here, there will be less of it. And I think that coffee prices are going to go up. So what can you do? If you drink coffee, uh, you can do what I did. Uh, you can go down to your local Costco or grocery store and stock up. Um, I, uh, I'm kind of a snob when it comes to coffee. So I like the, the, the fresh beans and then I grind them myself so that they're fresh. And uh, I'm not a fan of uh, U-Ban or Folgers or any of those uh, uh, cheapo brands. I like the good stuff. So I went down and bought a bunch of it. Uh, I probably, I'm looking at my shelf right now, I probably have a year's worth of supply. Uh, so uh, uh, coffee prices won't be affecting me, at least for another year. Uh, so that's what I did. All right, let's see what else we got. Oh, I was talking with my brother recently, and we were talking about investing and economics, and we, we talk almost every day on the phone, and uh, uh, it's usually about money. And we're talking about basically what we both do is every month at the end of the month, we tally up our net worth and then we put percentages of what percentage of our net worth we have in different asset classes. And what we've realized, and this is probably no secret, but I think it's worth verbalizing is all that rich people do is they, uh, you move your percentages of your net worth from one asset class into another one. 
when it looks like one asset class is in a bull market, um, you in, a, in an upward uh, trending uh, market, you put your uh, you put more of your net worth there. When it looks like it's going to take a dump, which it looks like uh, stocks and and bonds are going to do, you remove some of that and you put it in something else that you think is going to do well. So that's really all it is: is you're just moving your money from one asset class into another. Um, and maybe I shouldn't even be calling it uh, money. Um, you know, let me go over the um, uh, the difference between currency and money. And I got this from Mike Maloney, a uh, gold and silver dealer. Uh, and the way he classifies, he says that currency and money, they both share six of the same um, properties. Uh, the first one is it's a currency is a medium of exchange and so is money. Uh, in other words, we can we can trade um, our uh, uh, currency or money for goods or services, right? It's a medium of exchange. Uh, it's a unit of account, so it has numbers on it. You have a $5 bill, you have a $20 bill, you have a $100 bill. Uh, it's a unit of account. You also have ounces or grams or nanograms of precious metals, right? So it's a unit of account. It's got numbers on it, so it's a way to keep track of physically how much is there, right? It's portable. Um, what would be a good example? Okay, gasoline would be a horrible uh, uh, currency, right? Uh, you'd have to carry around gallons of gas. It would be dangerous and flammable. Uh, not a very good uh, portable uh, currency, right? Uh, paper money, paper currency, I should say, is uh, very portable. You can fold it up, put it in your pocket. So is uh, gold and silver. They're these little coins. Um, they, uh, they're very portable. It's not like carrying around barrels of oil or um, cows, right? Uh, it's durable, okay? It needs to be durable. It's not, you know, you don't want to be exchanging tea leaves, something that could be uh, uh, broken down and, and you can't put them in your pocket. Um, so it's got to be durable. Eh, Paper currency kind of uh, uh, solves that. The average um, currency, as far as uh, U.S. dollars, uh, paper currency can last anywhere from 5 to 20 years, depending on the denomination. $100 bills last longer because they don't uh, float around quite so much. Um, and uh, 5 and 10 $20 bills are a lot less. They're between 5 and 7 years just because they get used more. Gold and silver, on the other hand, are extremely durable. 90% uh, of the world's gold that has ever been mined is still out there. It has been melted down and, you know, it may have moved from one mint to the other and they remelted it down into another coin, uh, but, uh, but it's still there. So I would say that one is extremely durable. Paper currency is moderately durable. Divisible. Uh, so it needs, you need to be able to uh, divide it, okay? Um, you know, if you were to trade a cow uh, for one fish, that would be horrible. So somehow you have to be able to uh, divide it up. Uh, <laughs> not not very divisible, but uh, paper currency and gold and silver are very divisible. Uh, fungible, fungible, that means it's interchangeable. Okay, so a um, uh, dollar in my pocket is exactly the same as a dollar in your pocket. It's fungible. And a one ounce gold coin in my pocket is exactly the same as a one ounce gold coin in your pocket. Same as a one ounce silver coin in my pocket and a one ounce silver coin in your pocket. It's fungible. 
And lastly, the property, property that money has, gold and silver, and that currency does not, is it is a store of value. Now, what do we mean by that? Okay, a store of value. All right, a $100 bill costs the U.S. Mint 14 cents to make. Okay, an ounce of gold costs significantly more. It takes a lot of time and energy. They have to find where it exists, then they got to bring in this big heavy equipment. They got to mine it out. They literally have to pump through tons and tons of dirt just to get one ounce. And that value, that labor, that effort is stored in that coin forever. All right, so money is a store of value. Currency is not. Throughout history, currencies have gone to war against gold and every single time gold has won there's been thousands upon thousands of currencies since the invention of money 5,000 years ago and every single time a currency has gone up against gold it's lost every time it's never ever won Gold wins every single time. Maybe Bitcoin, maybe a crypto. Those have been around for a decade. This has been around <laughs> for 5,000 years. I do have a small allocation of Bitcoin and cryptos. But I'll take the one with the track record, not one that's going to war for the first time. Is the U.S. dollar any different? Have we all of a sudden figured it out? Is this going to be the currency that, that beats uh, precious metals and gold? This time we figured it out. We have the technology. We have internet. This is the one. I don't think so. The sad thing about this, I think, is that if it takes the U.S. government... If it costs them 14 cents to make a $100 bill, imagine what that means for a moment. They can make that $100 bill for 14 cents, and now they can use it to pay things like Medicare. They can use it to pay things like Social Security. They can use it to uh, pay our, um, uh, our U.S. Uh, military forces right? It costs them 14 cents, but they get to spend it as $100. So that $1,500 check that you're getting for Social Security actually only costs them $2.10 if they paid in $100 bills. All right, that's, uh, imagine what it would be like to be able to spend $2.10 of currency that you have now, not taxed, and be able to buy $1,500 worth of goods. That's what's happening on the printing presses. That $1,500 that we had to sacrifice our time uh, and our freedom, our labor for, uh, will not have nearly the purchasing power for us because we'll be taxed on it. And we had to work a lot harder for that than they did for the uh, 14 cent $100 bill.
So I would argue that we haven't necessarily been on the dollar standard since 1971. I would say we've been on the Federal Reserve monetary system since its inception in 1913. It says it on every one of our paper dollars, Federal Reserve Note. Since the inception of the Federal Reserve, the dollar has lost 95% of its, of its purchasing power. So in over 100 years, 95% of its purchasing power is, is gone. Okay, so if you held on to that same dollar from 1913 and you tried to uh, spend it today, back then it would buy you 95% more than it will, than it will today. Um, another thing that I got from um, uh, Mike Maloney is uh, what he calls the seven stages of empire. Um, it, uh, it's basically uh, a kind of a, a, the cycles of uh, the monetary system in an empire. They basically move from quality money back to quantity currency and then back to quality money. It's kind of like a pendulum that goes back and forth. So basically, the, the first stage is a country starts out with good money. It starts out with gold or silver or uh, is backed by gold or silver, okay, just like we were. Uh, as it develops economically and socially, it begins to take on more and more economic burdens that um, are adding layer upon layer of uh, public works. Okay, so they come up with uh, things like, um, um, you know, Social Security. They come up with things like uh, Medicare. They come up with um, um, uh, programs and things for the people. Um, but to do that, they have to uh, devalue their currency. Then stage three, as economic um, affluence grows, so does its political influence, and it increases expenditures to fund a massive military. Stage four, after having a massive military, it'd be a shame not to use it, right? Uh, eventually, it puts its military to use, and that's when expenditures explode. Just like Andy was talking about 500 ounces of silver into one Tomahawk missile, we're literally blowing up money. All right. Uh, to fund the war, it steals the wealth of the people by debasing their coinage with base metals or replacing their money with currency, which is what we have now, that can be created in unlimited quantities. That's the beauty of precious metals is governments can't print it. Okay. They have to go out. They have to mine it. They got to pull it out of the ground and then they got to melt it down and put it into bars and coins. All right. It's not something that they can just throw off the printing press at uh, 14 cents a bill. All right. Stage six, the loss in purchasing power of the expanded currency supply is sensed by the population. I think most people are uh, sensing that there is uh, uh, inflation happening. They may not know, know what to do about it yet, but, uh, just talking with uh, strangers and guys at work and family members, everyone can sense that something is up with the economy, but no one really knows what to, uh, to do about it. Uh, so it's sensed by the population and the financial markets, triggering a loss of faith, faith in the currency. Some people say we're in stage six right now. I'm kind of in that camp. Uh, others say we're in stage seven. 
Uh, stage seven is a mass movement out of currency into precious metals and other tangible assets takes place. Okay, so other tangible assets would be uh, things like real estate. Uh, maybe you're getting into commodities, oil, wheat, soybeans. Um, the currency collapses and gold and silver rise in price as they account for the huge quantity of currency that was created. So basically, it does an accounting. There's a period where gold and silver are not used as a, a, as a trade and, and um, to purchase things. And then all of a sudden, everyone realizes what has happened. And boom, it shoots up in price. Right now, about one out of 200 Americans have anything in precious metals. And that means physical uh, precious metals, you know, coins or bars, or even stocks, uh, gold mining stocks, um, gold and silver ETFs, uh, trusts, anything like that. So just by having anything in precious metals, you're now in the top half of 1%. Okay. Uh, this process transfers massive wealth to those who had the foresight to position themselves beforehand in real money, gold and silver. This is a process that has happened over and over for thousands of years. But um, what's unique about this time is it's happening on a global scale. It's happening to the whole planet, all countries at once. Um, every single country in the world is on a fake fiat currency. This has never happened before. It's just happened as little, if you look at a timeline over, over the last uh, several thousand years, this has just happened to one country. They go back to uh, uh, gold and silver. It does an accounting, and then you move into whatever the new monetary system is. And uh, we're at a neat, unique point in history where I believe that um, having the entire planet on a uh, fake fiat paper currency, um, this is not going to happen again in our lifetime. And I believe that this is the best bet that we can make in our lifetime. Um, I don't believe that it's a coincidence that the, um, that the big banks have reclassified gold as a tier one asset when it used to be a tier tier three asset. And they did that recently. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think they see the, uh, the tidal wave and the landslide coming and they're repositioning themselves uh, to be able to hold uh, um, uh, gold as a, uh, as a reserve asset. Now it's classified right now as far as uh, a tier one asset. And the only other tier one asset is U.S. dollars. So why would they do that? Why would they move uh, gold up the ladder and uh, put it right in line with the U.S. dollar? I think it's because they're, uh, they're prepping for what's coming. If you need a little more convincing, uh, I've talked about it briefly on the show. Uh, I'm going to go uh, through it uh, again here in a little bit more detail. Uh, but this is the last 150 years of monetary history, the world monetary system history. Okay, from 1873 to 1914, we were on what's called the classical gold standard. So what that means is that you could literally walk into a bank, slap down your $20 currency, your $20 bill, 
and get a $20 gold piece or get $20 in equivalent of uh, silver. Okay, this was a, um, uh, it's like a claim check. Okay, so when you drop off your, um, when you drop off your shirt at the dry cleaners, okay, uh, they give you a claim check for your shirt. So when you go back into the dry cleaners to pick up your shirt, you give them the claim check, they give you your shirt. The shirt has value, the piece of paper does not. It's the same way with, uh, with uh, paper currency and real money, okay? So that was the classical gold standard. Then we had a war, uh, and uh, World War I, uh, wars are not cheap, um, and we had to change that. We printed too many, um, um, we printed too much uh, uh, currency, uh, and with the advent of the Federal Reserve in 1913, essentially before 1913, we did not have income tax. Imagine that, not having income tax. But because the Federal Reserve was created, they essentially started borrowing more money than they actually had. And you and I have the pleasure of paying that interest in taxes. Good times, huh? Okay, so from 1914 to 1944, we went on to the gold exchange standard, and that is the same type of deal, but instead of a one-to-one -one ratio, now it's 40%. So to get that same $20 gold piece, you had to slap down a $50 bill. It was a 40% ratio, okay? That was the gold exchange standard. It was partially backed by gold. After that, uh, from 1944 until 1971, Okay, so this one lasted, what is that, 28 years, something like that? Uh, the ones before it, uh, 40 years, eh, 41 years, 30 years. This one was 28 years we were on this monetary system. It was called the Bretton Woods system. After World War II, what happened was we did not get involved in the war until uh, quite a bit later. Once Pearl Harbor was bombed, um, before that, we were selling a lot of goods to... Um, England and, and parts of Europe, uh, and we were taking, um, receiving payment in those goods uh, in the form of gold. So we sell England bombs and rifles and stuff and food, and they give us gold. So after World War II, we got involved pretty late. Uh, so we kind of got rich off it. This is where Americans have the... Um, what's the word, uh, the, uh, the idea that uh, war is good for the economy. War is good for the economy when you're not in it, okay? There's nothing good about the economy when, you're, when your house is getting bombed, okay? That's terrible. But it's really good for the economy if you're selling the bombs to the people that are doing it, right? So, after the war, America had two-thirds of the planet's gold, the rest of the world had to share the other third, and Europe had none. Okay, so the uh, gold exchange standard was no longer going to work. They had to come up with something new. So they had a meeting of the brightest minds, and they came up with the Bretton Woods system. And what that did was that made every single currency on the planet, except for a few, was backed by the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar was backed at $35 an ounce by gold. The problem with this system was that there was no reserve ratio established. So they said at that moment, okay, every uh, 35 US dollars, you can get one ounce of gold. Uh, and every currency on the planet is backed by the US dollar. 
So you can see how this didn't put in um, a, uh, a policy or, or a, a regulation that they stopped printing money. It just said at that moment it was uh, $35 an ounce. Well, governments do what they do, and they printed more currency than they had gold to back it. And on August 15th, 1971, um, President Nixon took us off the gold standard. And he realized in from 1959 uh, um, until 1971, the U.S. lost half of its gold supply because other countries started realizing that, uh, okay, they're giving us $35 for what would be one ounce of gold and we're taking this paper currency, but they've printed 12 times that amount. So we really should be getting a lot more dollars uh, than we actually are. Other countries started uh, asking for their gold in exchange for U.S. dollars. The U.S. began getting flooded with U.S. dollars and it's losing all its gold, which led to inflation. And later on, they started doing price fixing, which that was a dumpster fire, just like it has been every other time in history. And that's when Nixon realized this isn't going to work. So he went on what's called the global dollar standard. And he said uh, over the news, and, and uh, he said we're going on to a new monetary system. And he said it's going to be the global dollar standard, where every currency on the planet will be backed by the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar is backed by nothing. So now every currency on the planet is backed by one currency, and that currency has no backing. How long is that going to go on? We're at 50 years and counting. <laughs> How much longer do we think this can go? So what's next? Uh, I recently watched an interview with uh, Jerome Powell. I would, uh, the, uh, uh, the guy in charge of the Federal Reserve. And um, <laughs> I would bet, and I could be wrong, but I would bet that we're going to move to some type of uh, digital currency, some type of cryptocurrency that is backed by the government. Because if we did that, um, and in his speech, you can hear him say several times that, uh, you know, cash is, is not really the way that people are going. People are using less cash and they're more using more. And he used the word several times. He called it digitized, right? I don't think he wants to say digital just yet. You know, he's kind of planting it in the, in, in, in the minds of everyone. Digitized money. And he gave examples of, you know, when you go to uh, the bank and, or when you uh, pay for something, most of the time you use a card and, uh, you know, that's essentially digitized money. And uh, we know it's currency. It's not actually money, uh, but he's not going to say that. And um, so I think we're going to some type of uh, digital money, uh, digital currency. And see, I'm even doing it. Um, and the reason I think we're doing that is because now they can tax everything. Governments don't like cash. So anyways, Jerome Powell, he said many times that uh, governments do not really uh, uh, like cash. Uh, you know, they're looking into a new form of digital, or I'm sorry, digitized money. Um, and uh, I think that's going to be uh, the way of the future. Listening to an interview with Rick Rule, he used to be the uh, CEO of Sprott, uh, the precious metals uh, uh, company. And his thought when asked about uh, what are um, uh, uh, Janet Yellen and uh, Jerome Powell, 
you know, like, what is their plan? Do they honestly know what's going on? And he kind of like John Williams said, oh, they know exactly what's going on. They're much more intelligent than you think they are. And he believes that they're absolutely, in his words, shitting their pants. And they're just trying to make it through their term uh, so that uh, the house of cards doesn't fall on them and they take the blame. They're trying to pass this uh, 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 turd over to the next guy so it lands on his plate, not theirs. So what do we do? I, uh, you guys know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm purchasing uh, gold and silver uh, as a foundation. Uh, and um, I'm also getting into the uh, gold mining stocks and the silver mining stocks. I haven't touched much on the uh, silver mining stocks yet. What, what it is, is if you look at a graph of the spot price of uh, gold and silver, that'll kind of give you um, a... Uh, I guess like uh, kind of what the general market is doing. And then the gold um, royalty companies, the gold miners and the junior miners are going to be an exaggeration of that. So in other words, uh, let's say uh, the spot price of gold goes down by 1%. The royalty companies are probably going to down go down. Uh, I'm just making numbers up here, but uh, they'll probably go down by 2%. The, the major miners will probably go down by four, and the junior miners will probably drop by six or eight. Okay, so if you can read the technical graphs and anticipate which way uh, the market is moving, going by the spot price of gold and silver, you can then um, pretty well predict uh, what the other ones are going to do. There's going to be some outliers that, uh, you know, something came up with a contract or they didn't get a permit in, uh, in one of these development companies, and that could uh, set it off the other way. That's why I've got uh, Jordan Roy Byrne, and I'm part of his subscription so that he does the research for me and uh, I read the graphs along with him. Um, but uh, that has been an interesting, um, uh, a lot of fun for me, and I feel so much safer doing that uh, than I did uh, just getting Edison or uh, AT&T or Coca-Cola. One thing I did um, was I took advantage of something that uh, Rick Rule offered. I saw him on another show, and if you go to Sprott USA forward slash rankings, you can put in um, different uh, stocks that you're interested in, uh, specifically uh, uh, metals and uh, oil, uranium, um, commodities in there. And he'll rank them for you. Uh, and he did. And so of the ones that I sent him um, that I was interested in, uh, after receiving his response, I became much more interested in them. <laughs> and uh, I'll share them with you. So for me, I'm personally, uh, I, although I have a little bit of these ones that I'm mentioning, um, I, uh, I agree with Jordan and I'm going to follow and ride on the coattails of Superman in that, uh, it looks like we're going to have a little bit more of a consolidation possibly for months, if not into next year. And, uh, I'm going to hold off on, uh, on, uh, buying some of these until it looks like a good technical setup also coinciding with Jordan's advice on the general gold market. Okay. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, okay, the first one, um, according to uh, Rick Rule and his rankings, and uh, uh, Franco Nevada Corporation, uh, ticker symbol is Foxtrot November Victor, 
Mr. Rule says that the best of the best growth is built in, uh, although it's not cheap. He's right. But the beauty of this one is it's a royalty company and they have some massive uh, uh, royalty rights to some of the biggest mines. And what that means is that they work a deal with these mines. Um, so they have rights to the land and they're sitting on these rich gold deposits. A miner comes along, maybe he needs a little bit of cash and they work out a deal where, okay, once you're up and running mining, we get 3% of whatever comes out of the ground for the first, uh, you know, 100,000 ounces. And then after that, it goes to 2%. And after 500 ounces, it goes to one or whatever deal they work out. So basically the point is, is this company, last I checked, had 26 employees. I'm sorry, 25 employees and they're worth 26 billion. Okay, there's, there's, they don't have to mine this stuff. They don't have to drill for it. They don't have to um, uh, get, get water and permits and all that stuff. That's on the miner. And once the metal starts coming out of the ground, that's when they benefit, uh, which it already is. <laughs> uh, so Franco, Nevada. Um, another one that I got my eye on and um, is uh, Barrick Gold. Um, uh, ticker symbol is Golf Oscar Lima Delta. Um Rick says uh, it's the best of the biggies, uh, first stop for generalist investors in the gold space. So from a guy who's been in the gold space for 45 years, Mr. Rule um, is saying basically that uh, when the general public uh, realizes and sees the, uh, the tidal wave coming, this is probably going to be one of the first um, companies that they uh, put their currency into. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, also like uh, Agnico Eagle Mines. Uh, ticker symbol is Alpha Echo Mike. Uh, Mr. Rule says they're superb. They're not cheap. They've got rapid free cash growth uh, and major capital spend has passed. So they had to uh, uh, put forth a whole bunch of money recently, but that, that uh, uh, ship has sailed and there's nothing like that on the horizon in the near future. Um, so... It uh, should be good. Um, another one, uh, another royalty company um, is uh, Royal Gold. Uh, ticker ticker symbol RGLD, Romeo Golf Lima Delta. Um, and uh, yeah, another royalty uh, uh, company that uh, they collect and other people pull it out of the ground for them. And I also threw in there um, from um, episode number 13, Alex Black, I threw in his uh, gold mining company, Rio 2, ticker symbol, Romeo, India, Oscar, Foxtrot, Foxtrot. Um, and uh, I was curious about that one. And uh, he gave that one high marks as well. Um, so I know uh, just from Jordan's um, uh, research that... Um, <clears throat> if Alex can get um, the the first stage of the gold mining uh, gold mine going at twenty thousand tons per day, uh, then it should be a three bagger. In this business, it means three uh, x goes up three x. 
if he can secure the pipeline with water coming in so he doesn't have to truck it and can do uh, a thousand, I'm sorry, uh, a hundred thousand tons per day, uh, then uh, Jordan could see this going up to a 10 bagger. So, um, yes, thank you, Mr. Rule. Appreciate that. Uh, would love you to have you on the show, sir. Hope you got something out of that. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us. And also put the little thumbs up icon, subscribe. And uh, for to listen to past episodes, uh, you can go to stevebartonmoney.com. We'll have it all there. Um, to order your precious metals from Andy Sheckman. Do like I do and just do a dollar cost averaging every two weeks. Then you don't care about the price. This is a long-term bet. I, I have fun with reading the technicals and making a little more bets when it's down like this. Uh, but I think uh, long-term uh, no-brainer play is just dollar cost average. Just get something every two weeks, you know, or once a month or put it on a regular schedule, you know. Um, get uh, your precious metals at Miles Franklin and uh, use... Uh, uh, email Andy directly, Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him you heard it on In It to Win It. Put it in the subject line, and Andy will give the show a little kickback, and uh, it won't cost you an extra dime. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling a friend, and thank you for tuning in. Here is your weekly motivational speech. Haters motivate me. Because when they talking about me, that means I'm doing something. You see, while you're over there watching me and talking about me, I'm working. I'm working hard. I'm taking things to the next level. You keep gossiping and I'll keep working. You keep talking smack and I'll keep working. You keep focusing on everything and everyone else and I'll keep working. And when you finally look around at where you are and where I'm at, you'll realize that you have nothing left to talk smack about. And you will lose and I will win. That person who was your hater, they thought they defeated you. That person who told you you'll never amount to anything, they thought they defeated you. Use them for fuel. Use them for energy. Put them on the mental roller decks in your mind. And when you don't want to do shit, roll through your brain. Pull up that motherfucker that you need. That person who said you couldn't do something. Use it for energy. Instead of killing them with kindness, torture them with success. Oh, you're being unrealistic. You're dreaming. Yes, I am dreaming. So a lot of people have stopped dreaming. Don't you stop dreaming. You're going to get up. You're going to get dressed. You're going to get out. And you're going to do what you've been called to do. You're going to be what you called to do. You're going to have and you're going to prove to everybody that tried to break you. You're going to prove them wrong. Everybody that tried to stop you. Everybody that tried to kill your dream. You're going to prove all of them wrong. When you're uncommon, get ready for the criticism. When you're uncommon, get ready for the opposition. When you're uncommon, get ready for the common people not to understand you. When you're uncommon, have uncommon ways. Get ready for people to try and block you and conspire against you. Never allow anybody to make you feel bad about being so blessed when you've worked your ass off to get it. You decided all the clubs, partying, hanging out, and all that shit, that ain't for me. I'm going to be out here running in the hot sun, practicing, playing basketball, shooting on weekends while everybody else is clubbing and hanging out. You got your focus right. 
You see me in my Rolls Royce, private planes, rooftop hotel, five, six star lifestyle. I've worked my ass off to have it. And you can keep all your little slick ass comments to yourself. Cause guess what? I don't remember the last time I lost sleep over a hater. Shut the fucking noise out. Embrace the fact that people don't like you. Makes you do something right. Develop the interior core where it doesn't matter if people call you crazy. One of the things limiting you from your income, your impact, a world-class life. You care too much about what people think about you. Everyone has an opinion. Why let the opinions of other people deny you from a life that will make history?